Good morning, church. So good to be with you. My wife and I had a wonderful vacation in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago, and here are some pictures. It was our very first time to our nation's capital, and so we enjoyed it thoroughly. The only not-so-fun part of our vacation was that long flight to D.C. Man, rough. Total flight time of nearly 10 hours Man, that was tough. My wife and I, we were so excited. We got to the airport early um, on a Sunday afternoon. And so we got there early and we figured we better eat because the airline usually doesn't feed you. You have to pay. And so I'm like, I'm not going to pay the airline for, you know, some, their food is not that great. And so we decided that we would eat at the airport. And so we ate at the airport. Then then we, um, we were at the gate and the gate was packed full of people. It would be a full flight. And so pre-boarding started, and then group one, and then group two, and on our boarding ticket, it said uh, group four. And so I'm that obnoxious guy. When they say group three, I stand up. And you have to stand up like you're confident. You have to stand up like it says group three on your boarding ticket. I stand up confidently. And I go to the back of the line of group three. You see, the Lord says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And I'm helping God along. And so I'm in the back of group three. And my wife, it just drives my wife crazy all the time I do this. And then they say group four. And I'm in the front of the line. And my wife, my wife shakes her head all the time. And, and so we, we board the plane. And um, the plane is a huge plane. It's kind of like seated kind of like this. So you, there's a, a, the left side and then an aisle, the middle, and then uh, there's the aisle and then there's the right side. And so my wife and I were sitting in this middle section. And so I got the aisle seat in this middle section. So there's four seats. I got the aisle seat and my wife is sitting right next to me. And so... I don't know if you guys do this, but we're, we always look down the aisle to see who will sit next to us. And so we see this family with two toddlers that are screaming and yelling, and we're like, no. Luckily, they pass us, but they sit right behind us. They take the whole row behind us. And so we're like, okay, at least they're not sitting next to us. And so we keep looking, and we're hoping that it'll be this kind, petite, quiet couple that sits next to my wife, and we're looking. No sign of anyone coming, and we're thinking, oh, maybe it's not a full flight. Maybe these seats are not taken. And then, barreling down the aisle are these two tall, muscular guys. And my my wife nudges me to say, oh, no. And I nudge her back to say, I'm praying for you. And so, but, but, uh, but her hope and, and my prayers are ineffective. The two guys, they plop, their, they plop down right next to my wife. And so my wife, she tries to boldly and courageously keep her territory. You know what I mean? And so... In a matter of seconds, though, she surrenders her armrest. <laughs> and then, in a matter of a few more seconds, the guy spreads his legs, and my wife's personal space is totally and completely surrendered. For 10 hours, for 10 hours, my wife is stuck in this space called in between in between. On a more serious, and this really happened, on a more serious note though, this morning, 
I want to talk to us about this idea called in between. Sometimes we find ourselves in this space called in between in life. And we're waiting. We're waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for a miracle. We're waiting for a breakthrough. We're waiting some, for something to happen in this space called in between. It may be that you're in between. You're in between sickness and healing. In between brokenness and wholeness. In between the storms of life and the peace of God. In between the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises. Sometimes we find ourselves in this in-between space in life. And sometimes this in-between space in life can be quite uncomfortable. And maybe this morning you find yourself in this in-between space in life. And I want you to know that you're not alone. Over and over again in the Bible, God's people can often be found in this space called in-between. In fact, Abraham found himself in this place called in-between, in this season of life called in-between. A lot of us think, when we hear the word Abraham, we think, man, this giant father of the faith, we think of this great hero of the faith. But he didn't start out as a giant father of the faith. He didn't start off as this great hero of the faith. He started off in this season in life that was quite uh, uncomfortable called in between. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to begin in verse 1. And this is uh, God speaking to Abraham. And so the name that's used here is Abram. And later on, God changes his name to Abraham. So Abram, Abraham, the same person. And so God is speaking to Abraham. And God gives Abraham some instructions and God gives Abraham a promise. And so listen carefully. This is God speaking to Abraham. Says this, Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And then here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and his nephew Lot went with him. And then listen carefully to what the Bible says next. It says, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 
And so the Lord makes this promise to Abraham. And the promise is that he would be a great nation. And this implies that he will have descendants and offspring and heirs, that his name will be great. This is the promise that God gives to Abraham. But just one small problem. His wife, Sarah, the Bible says a couple of verses before this, was barren. She had no children. And so Abraham is probably thinking, man, I'm 75 years old. And my wife is 65, 66 years old. Oh, just give her 65. Ladies like to be younger, right? 65 years old. And we don't have children. And Sarah's probably thinking, dear Abraham, I don't know about you, but my bi biological clock is no longer tick-talking. <laughs> right? And so Abraham and Sarah, they, they probably are thinking, we better get busy. And so they get busy. And my guess is they get busy, if you know what I mean. And so one year passes. Nothing. No pregnancy. No child. Two years pass. Nothing. No pregnancy. No child. Three years pass. Nothing. No pregnancy. No child. Abraham and Sarah find themselves in this uncomfortable season of life called in between. They're in between the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises. They're waiting. They're waiting for something to happen. Waiting for a miracle. Waiting for a breakthrough. Waiting for something to happen in this space called in between. Five years. Nothing. No pregnancy. No child. Ten years. Nothing. No pregnancy. No child. Twenty years. Nothing. No pregnancy. No child. Abraham and Sarah find themselves in this uncomfortable season of life called in between. They're in between the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises. The Bible documents well this season of life that Abraham and Sarah find themselves in. And if you have time at home this week, I want to encourage you. Noah, I want to encourage you to read Genesis chapter 12 all the way up to chapter 20. Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 20 you will be encouraged. Because what you'll find if you read Genesis chapter 12 to chapter 20 is that it's raw. And, and it shows Abraham and Sarah's humanity. And you'll be encouraged. You'll be like, wow, they're just like me. I'm not alone. Nine chapters. I would encourage you to read it at home this week. It'll encourage you. You'll find that Abraham and Sarah, during this season, when they're in this in-between time in life, they get frustrated. They get frustrated with God. They even 
take matters into their own hands because they think they ought to help God along. They become bitter and resentful. They have woe is me pity parties. I mean, you'll be encouraged. Read these nine chapters and you'll come to the conclusion, conclusion that, wow, they're just like me. I'm not alone. And so for nine chapters in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah, they find their, themselves in this in-between season in life. And then take a look at what happens next. Genesis chapter 21. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 21. And we're going to begin in verse 1 as well. Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And it says this. Let me get there. It says this. It says, Now... The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as the Lord commanded him. And then watch this, watch carefully, it says this. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A hundred years old. If my math is correct, that means that Abraham and Sarah were in this in-between season of life for 25 years. Not many of us will be in this kind of in-between season of life for 25 years. Abraham and Sarah, 25 years in-between space of 25 years. You would expect that maybe after, I don't know, five years, they, they would have given up on God and given up on the promises of God. Maybe after 10 years, maybe at the 10-year mark, you would expect them to give up on God, give up on this promise that God gave them. Maybe after 20 years, maybe at the 20-year mark, you would expect them maybe to give up on God, to give up on this promise that God gave to them. But instead, Abraham and Sarah kept journeying with God in this in-between season of life. Yes, they made some wrong choices and bad decisions along the way, but they kept journeying with God. And more importantly, God didn't give up on them, and God fulfilled His promise to them. I want to take you on a little rabbit trail now, and I want to talk about another term. And this term is called Spatial disorientation. My, my brother, uh, Mike Mesunas, uh, shared this with me, I don't know if you remember, uh, months ago. Spatial disorientation. We were talking about helicopter, helicopters and helicopter pilots. And um, so this is an aviation kind of term. It's usually used in the 
uh, in the aviation industry. Anybody heard of this term, spatial disorientation? Except for Mike? Yeah? Okay. So it's usually um, pilots, uh, helicopter pilots, airplane pilots. And what happens with spatial disorientation is this. Pilots, um, they rely on their senses when they fly. They, uh, they rely on their sense of vision and perception and, and, and even feeling sometimes when they fly. But when the conditions are not optimal, for example, when you're flying in the dark or when you're flying in a storm and there's lots of clouds and you can't see anything, you can't see the horizon, you can't see the ground, you cannot see landmarks, Sometimes pilots can become disoriented. That's called spatial disorientation. They become disoriented. They become confused. They're not sure which way is up and which way is down. They're not sure if they should bank left or bank right. They just kind of become uh, confused and, and they kind of lose their bearings. That's called spatial disorientation. Kind of lose your way. You kind of lose your bearings. And so that's why pilots also train to fly by the instruments, to fly by the instruments. That's called instrument flight rules. They fly by the instruments. If you remember John F. Kennedy Jr. in 1999, his plane crashed. Well, his plane crashed because he didn't fully complete his fly by the instruments training. And so what happened was he was flying using his vision and his perception and his senses. But it, it was dark. And so in route to Martha's Vineyard, there was a haze like fog, and he couldn't see. He couldn't see the horizon. He couldn't see the ground. He couldn't see the landmarks along the way. And so he got confused. He wasn't sure which way was up and which way was down. Wasn't sure if he should bank left or if he should bank right. He got disoriented. He experienced what NTSB calls spatial disorientation. And so he, his plane crashed and killing himself and his wife and his sister-in-law. That was in 1999, about a little over 20 years ago now. Spatial disorientation. Sometimes in life, especially when we're in the in-between seasons of life, we too can experience spiritual, spatial disorientation. We're, we're, we're told to rely on our senses, to rely on our sight and our feelings. And, and, but sometimes when we're in this in-between season, we can experience what's called spatial disorientation. We can become confused. We can lose our bearings. We can lose our way. And we're not sure which way is up, which way is down. We're not sure if we should go left or if we should go right. Because our perceptions, our senses are not always accurate in interpreting reality when we're in spatial disorientation or sometimes when we're in this in-between season of life. And so that's why sometimes we need to fly by the instruments. We need to trust and rely on the instruments. For, for some pilots, actually, 
to fly by the instruments is a hard transition because you've always learned, yes, trust your eyesight, trust your vision, trust your senses, and then you have to transition and you have to trust this instrument panel. You have to trust that these instruments are working. You have to trust and fly by the instruments. It's a hard transition to make for some pilots. It takes a lot of training, a lot of flight experience in order to, to be proficient at flying by the instruments. And what I'm saying this morning is we need to be a church that is flying by the instruments. And what I mean by that is trust the instruments, trust the instrument panel. And for us, the instrument panel, as believers, as people of faith, it's worship, and it's Bible reading, and it's prayer, and it's church attendance, and it's fellowship with other believers that we have to trust and rely on this instrument panel and the instruments that, to, to fly by the instruments, especially when you are in this in-between season in life and you're trying to trust in your perceptions and your sight, but your perceptions and your sight sometimes are inaccurate, especially when you're experiencing spatial disorientation and when you're confused, lose your bearings, you lose your way, you have to fly by the instruments. You have to trust and rely on the instruments. Rely and trust in worship and Bible reading and prayer and church attendance and fellowship with other believers. The Apostle Paul says it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says this. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. We trust the instrument panel. We fly by the instruments. And we don't walk by sight. Because sometimes our sight can in inaccurately interpret reality. Some of you are in this place called in-between. Some of you have been in this place for some time now. And maybe you're experiencing a little spatial disorientation in the spirit. Life can be a little confusing maybe. You've been praying to God and you're, you're like, God has not responded. God has not answered. Has he forgotten me? Has he forgotten his promises for my life? And you might be feeling a little confused. And you're losing your bearings, losing your way. And perhaps God's word of encouragement for you this morning is this. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep journeying with God. Keep flying by the instruments. Trust and rely on worship and prayer and Bible reading and church attendance and fellowship with other believers. Fly by the instruments. Walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Let us pray.